But at some point we have to let go because energetically, the more we're pushing the situation, the more we're telling the universe, I don't trust that this is going to happen. This is the playbook. I have my very first healthpreneur. That's right. I said healthpreneur, founder and CEO of healthpreneur himself, Yuri Elkame, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, of course, a former professional athlete, got to be an athlete to get on here. Uh, but an incredible guy who gets the idea of getting out of your own way. Welcome to the playbook, Yuri. Hey, it's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of the key critical business issues that you uh, talk about and teach about and help people with um, are actually more in the energetic space uh, than in the pragmatic mathematical business strategist space. And you know, I'm going to start with uh, an energy called the compelling event. And, you know, been blessed to read your book, uh, which, you know, is right up my alley, making more by doing less uh, and, you know, how to avoid the interference or the burnout that occurs. But this idea of creating a compelling event in life, of stimulating interest, of allowing things to happen by utilizing what I call a reconciliation that's counterintuitive uh, of you are persistent towards a goal, but then you have to allow it to happen. And people just can't get a grasp on how they can do that without burning out. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I would say my approach is pragmatic and very energetic. I mean, my first book was the all day energy diet and I had number two in the New York times list many years ago, but in that process, I realized I'm like, you could eat the best quality foods, but energetically, how you perceive those foods makes all the difference. And then the same thing I realized with business was that there's so much hustle and grind discussion and dialogue nowadays, and people are working harder than ever. And they're getting, you know, in some cases, decent results, but it's not sustainable. Or some people are putting in 40 hours a day and they're not where they want to be. But we've all had the experience where we've taken a week off and gone on, you know, gone on vacation for me, playing some tennis, you know, hanging out on the beach, whatever it is. And in that process, our business just, things get better. Like it's, you take a week off and the business improves. And I started recognizing this with myself and many of my clients. And I'm like, what's this all about? And I started to realize that the reality is that when we are like, I agree, like we have to be persistent. We have to put in the work, but at some point we have to let go because energetically, the more we're pushing the situation, the more we're telling the universe, I don't trust that this is going to happen. And that becomes a major block. And this is very hard for people to really recognize because they're like, no, 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 like I, I got to work hard and put it in because, you know, no action, no results. And I'm not saying don't take action, but it's this intentional action where you have to know when to just step back and let it happen. And it's, I don't know how to teach that quickly. I think it's more of like a life experience that we have to go through to eventually get there. But I'm with you on that one for sure. Yeah, it's amazing how much resistance we can create by persistence because we work so hard, then we expect something to come. And if we expect something to come, we create this idea of something's missing. And as you know, the way that the energy works, if we start focusing on what's missing, what we don't have or what we want that's not there, we end up getting more of the same and creates more resistance and makes the work harder. Yeah. One of the questions that I have that I toil with, because I wonder if it's personal to me or it can be utilized for the masses is, I don't believe in taking that week off. I, I, I believe 
in letting go every day. I believe in vacationing every day. I believe in activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for. And because of the conscious continuum, conscious, subconscious, and unconscious, and how it works together, I think you get exponential results by doing vacations every day. And when you're on a vacation for a week, playing tennis, you know, I went to Bora Bora for eight days, but I periodically utilized activity I got paid for without interfering with my family time, the see-do time, you know, all the other things I got to do. But I thought that was essential to not burning out, but yet also letting things happen, allowing them to happen. Do you find any distinguishment between the people that go off the grid for six weeks compared to freaks of the week that, you know, vacation every day? I'm with you on that. I'm actually taking a week off right now, but it's not for my own sanity. It's more for like a, a, um, a stress test on our business more than anything else. I'm like, Hey, if stuff breaks, let me know, let's fix it. But I'm with you on that. It's like, I think it's easier for when you do work, you love, like, why do you have to take time off? You know? And I think it's, you know, one of the things that all of us as entrepreneurs hopefully get to experience at some point in our journey is being able to spend most of our time in our zone of genius. And you know, if you're just starting from scratch, like you kind of have to do everything, but eventually you want to get to a point where you can spend more of your days doing the work you love, because then you don't have to take a week off. Right. And there's, you know, this whole discussion of like work-life balance, like, like, like you mentioned, I, I don't think it's a balance. It's an integration, you know, for entrepreneurs, we can't turn it off. We're always thinking, I'm always looking at, I had an experience with my kids. Oh yeah. I just got a great idea for marketing from that. Like, it's not like I, I, I switch it off and switch it on. It's, it's all integrated. But I think when you do what you love and, and you're able to find joy and fulfillment from that, you don't need as much time off because time off usually comes from work that's just taxing on our soul, not just our body. So I'm with you on that. Like I, I would say, I, I mean, other than this week, I haven't taken a, a day off really in two years. Because I don't need to. I don't have to. I love what I do. On Sunday morning, I'm up at five in the morning and I'm doing my stuff, right? I take a few hours, but I don't work all day. And that's just the way I've built my schedule. And I'm like, why would I want it anyway? Like I have I have things I feel most joyful and fulfilled when I'm contributing and 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 kind of figuring out challenges and helping my clients, helping my team. Why would I want to take, you know, a significant amount of time away from that? So I'm with you on that. Yeah. And you deal in mindset, hard set, enhance set a lot. And, you know, the mindset, for example, behind money, pricing and sales, where I started my career and you were talking about loving what you do. I think one of the blessings that uh, my mindset had given me is that I knew, and probably because of sports, that I could learn to love what whatever the activity was if the purpose out weighed the pain. And I wanted to buy my mom a house in a car, which was a great purpose. Um, And I was willing to, you know, suffer through discipline instead of suffer through regret. And nine months out of law school, I was a millionaire because of it. But I had a great mindset for money, pricing and sales. What are some of the things that you teach uh, in accordance to the energy of money, that currency, uh, and how it's related to pricing? Because I think you have a very unique perspective on you know defending your price and then finally sales in general yeah I, I love this conversation because i tell my clients your price is 100 made up in your head that's it unless you're a commodity right 
we work in the world of service, you know, coaching, consulting, et cetera. So for us, when someone says, well, how much should I charge for my 12 week coaching program? I'm like, how much do you feel 100% convicted behind? Because that's the only, that's all that matters. I'm helping health professionals build their business. And I continually remind them whether you're charging 1500, 5,000, 10,000 to transform someone's life, you're still undercharging, right? And most people come into us with, you know, I'm charging 50 bucks a session, or some people come in at a little bit of a higher price points. And it's, it's just, it's very interesting to see this journey of how they have to go through their own stuff. And I was that guy too. When I started off 20 some odd years ago as a trainer nutritionist, I was charging 20 bucks an hour. I was underpaid, overworked, all that stuff. And I had to go through my own journey of pricing and really standing in my own power and my own self-worth. So my perspective with pricing, and, and this is going to go across the spectrum, whether we're talking about health professionals or any business specific with like service-based stuff. The way I think of this is um, if you had the choice between, um, let's say, the owner of the Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts uh, decided to give you the keys to his kingdom. You're like, cool. Or you have the owners of Motel 6, right? Which one would you want to have, right? Would you want to have the Four Seasons Hotel and that experience, you know, $700 a night plus, depending on where you're staying, you know, versus paying a tenth of that, $69 a night or, or charging a, a tenth of that? And there's no right or wrong answer. It's really what you want to do, the type of business you want to have, the type of experience you want to give to your clients. I would much rather follow in Isidore Sharp's footsteps and build a Four Seasons-like experience because that's something that is just absolutely game-changing from, you know, they're delivering the same results, right? Go to bed, wake up, four walls, you know, you're sheltered from the, the elements, but the experience is very different. Now, in a, in a service-based coaching type of endeavor, there's obviously an outcome associated with that. And the other thing too, that's beneficial to premium pricing is that most humans believe that something that's premium priced is better. And that's usually a good thing from just a, how the client shows up perspective. But also the other thing from the, from the business owner's perspective, if you charge more, you will have a very tough time sleeping at nights if you don't show up to the 100% of your ability to give whatever you can to that client. And I think from a pricing perspective, undercharging is a disservice to your clients. And, and somebody asked me a while ago, it's like, you know, why do you charge so much? First of all, I said, well, I don't, I don't think I charge that much. But anyways, let's just say that I do. The answer is because you're worth it. Because if I charged you 100 bucks, I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And I wouldn't give you the best of myself and my team. So when we think as business owners of pricing, we're not, we're not listening, like, the reality is that not everyone can be helped by you, no matter what business you're in. And you have to be okay with that, right? Some people are not going to pay $35 for a burger. They're going to go to McDonald's. And it doesn't mean you have to be the McDonald's. You can be if you want to, but you can also choose to be the Morton Steakhouse, right? Or whatever's most representative for the type of business you want to run. So I think at the end of the day, it's like you have to determine what is the business model that makes most sense for you? What is the type of pricing that's going to support that? And what is obviously, you know, what, what are the pros and cons of both of those? You know, in, in my space, I know that, you know, 97% of my email list, people who are like, who know, like, and trust me are probably never going to work with me because we price them out of the market. And that's okay because I give everything to them for free. Right. But it's tough to give away everything for free when you don't have your cup full yourself. So I think pricing is a major, major thing that a lot of us have to work through. 
I agree. And, you know, it's so simple for me, the perceived value and bottom line, right? And I've been, as you, involved in negotiations from running Lee Steinberg to Sports One Marketing to all the consulting that I do. And it comes to a simple thing. That bottom line is easy, right? And most people don't get there. They, they, They go into some sort of pricing model without knowing bottom line, you know, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, I'm an entrepreneur. My bottom line for this opportunity is this much. And they're not willing to walk away. When, when you're convicted to your bottom line, the same as you're convicted to your perceived value, this believability of being a profit center, not a profit. Um, you know, and I see that being a big problem with people when they're pricing is they're not a profit center. They haven't done the work in order to guarantee value. Um, and, you know, I have to have a program for a toll booth operator that's different from the CEO of Gulf Oil. They just have to be programmatically differently because I'm not the same profit center for a toll booth operator, not in the short term, not month to month that I can be for the CEO of of Gulf Oil. To that matter, it goes beyond the importance of the other person and the value, that perceived value. You cannot have the perceived value as a profit center unless you learn to love you, right? You, You talked about having your cup full. One of the ideas people that ask for help have a fuller cup than those who don't that just give uh, in order to receive. I receive so I can give more. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly, a long journey has been knowing my value by loving myself and not being an imposter, not looking at pleasing everyone, you know, in, in which kills us in negotiations and pricing. But yeah. for you, the importance of loving yourself, number one, when did that occur? Because I know you couldn't have been, you're, you're not one of these, uh, I've never met someone out of, you know, I have teenagers, so it's just impossible to teach them and tell them, you got to learn to love you. Don't worry about other people. When did you learn uh, uh, to love yourself? And then when did you learn the importance of it? I wish I could give you the dates, August 2nd, you know, 2000, <laughs> yeah, whatever, right? But I think it was like a, a, a journey. So I lost, I lost my hair when I was 17 to an autoimmune condition. That's why I don't have any hair. Well, grass um, doesn't grow on a busy street. Pardon me? Grass does not grow on a busy street. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's too much going on. You're lucky. <laughs> yeah. People know you're so smart. I think that was like my first, that was my first big wake up call to, hey man, there's other things more important in life than how you look. And a lot of people thought that that was a really hard time for me, but to be honest, I don't think it was. I think I was, I don't know where this came from. I had a level of maturity at the time that I think really served me. But in terms of my own self-worth and kind of self-love, I mean, I would say probably it took me into my like mid twenties to really uncover that. I mean, I played professional soccer and I I firmly believed I was the best at my position from the time I was 10 years old. So there was this like this delusional optimism and confidence that I had that I think has served me in everything else I've done. But I think there's a difference between confidence and self-love. And I think it took me a long time to really to really uncover that. And I'll tell you, like the one thing I can remember is I remember I was 30, my first child was born. And I remember at one point feeling very uncomfortable with how much he loved me. Like there was a moment where I felt like, how is it possible that he loves me this much? And I was like, huh. And that opened a door for me to start doing some, some more inner work and recognizing like, I, why did I feel uncomfortable with that? You know, and so I think it's been a journey for me. I was first introduced to kind of inner development, personal growth stuff when I was 24, which for me is pretty late, I think. 
But that really set me on a stage over the next decade easily, where it was just one thing after another unfolding to, to see my worth and see my value. And, and, and this is like, like, regardless of my, my markets feedback to me of like how much I've helped them, et cetera, but that also helps as well. So I think it's been, you know, a little bit of that, you know, obviously being a parent, you know, going through my own journey, my own struggles, et cetera, all of that has snowballed, if you will, into, I would say like, I don't even know. I, I mean, I wish I could say it took me 10 years or seven years, but it, it was a process. Um, but I still think I'm undervalued. I still think I undervalue myself. I, I, I think all of us do, because in some way, shape or form, we want to help a lot of people. But, you know, the more we remind ourselves of the fact that we can never do that anyways, uh, the more we start to really step into our power. And the thing that I realized a long time ago is that people who need our help the most often want it the least. And so I started to say, you know what? I wish I could help all these people, but the reality is that they're not willing to meet me halfway. So I'm going to work with the people who are ready. And then I'm just going to give everything else, you know, give of myself freely. And hopefully at some point, those people will be served either, you know, for free or at a higher level or through someone else. And that was just the perspective that I took, um, but it took a while to get there. It's amazing how we share the same philosophies and strategies uh, with that ability, including, you know, last but not least, our mission. You've written, what, five books, I think, uh, in total, utilizing books and speaking and coaching and all these different things to empower people with your mission, which is to transform the lives of, I, I would assume it's over a billion people. You're not going to limit yourself to a billion. Yeah. Uh, neither am I, but very similar missions uh, in our lives, uh, giving everything for free and allowing people that can uh, afford to pay for our ability to make ourselves a profit center for them. We, we charge for that. And, uh, you know, we're, co we're constantly fighting the love and value of ourselves. But how are you going to transform, uh, you know, your over billion people? What is your strategy to do that? Because a lot of people, you know, they're amazed. And I have a mathematical equation to mine. What's your strategy to transform over a billion people in your in your journey? I don't know. I'll, I'll be very honest with you because I think the world and technology has changed and continues to change so rapidly. Like 10 years ago, I never would have envisioned doing exactly what I'm doing now. <laughs> so for me to tell you exactly what it's going to be, I think is irresponsible on my part because it's going to change. Uh, I do have a very specific strategy for this quarter and this, you know, and this year. But for us at, at a higher level, really it's about with Healthpreneur, it's about helping other health professionals, business owners build better businesses, more profitable businesses, which means that they can serve more people. And it almost becomes like this snowball of paying it forward. I don't know how we're going to measure a billion people necessarily. I know we'll kind of figure that out as we as, figure that out as we go. Um, but it's you know, it's something I'm very, very certain that is going to happen in some way, shape, or form. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But as I tell my clients, I'm like, the way you drive through fog is the way I approach life, is you drive 10 meters and you get a little bit more clarity. You keep driving 10 more meters and you have a bit more clarity. And that's kind of the way I see this is, let me just know what the next 10 meters looks like. Let me just kind of move forward. And then more of it will unfold as it goes without ever losing sight of what the big North star is, which is what we're moving towards. So that's my answer to that. I would say you can get from San Diego to Maine at the middle of the night, seeing three feet in front of you. Uh, and the uh, same sort of idea. Uh, well, you're on this podcast because of my mission, because of the alignment that we have in the mindset, hard set and hand set of how we can empower others. My mathematical equation, which you're happy to share, and you may already be on your way, is simply I need to find a thousand people like you, uh, Yuri, 
a thousand people like you that I know in your lifetime will empower a thousand to empower a thousand yeah. uh, to transform, to be happy. I, I break it down to make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And you certainly are an example of that and appreciate on all realms what you're doing with the most valuable non-negotiable in life, our health. I always say, if you're healthy, you get as many wishes as you want. If you're unhealthy, you only have one wish. So thank you, Yuri, for providing so many wishes to so many people and empowering them to give even more wishes away.